Save the date for the 12th of September. Join our webinar on digital transformation in manufacturing. We are exploring how IoT, AI and smart factories are reshaping our sector. Hear from industry leaders like Airbus, Rolls-Royce and Heriot Watt University. This is a must attend for professionals and decision makers in manufacturing. So register now at resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. That's resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. The link is also in the description. I had a great conversation this week with David Hamilton. He works at Bacavore, helping to produce over 75 million pizzas every year. That's a lot of dough. He has deep sector experience from starting as an apprentice electrician to leading production and creating a complete engineering strategy for the company by introducing modern technology processes which can strip out cost while still maintaining the highest quality standards. We talked about the skills gap in UK manufacturing, how the industry embraces technology, as well as his European experience having worked in Poland and Denmark. From Redfern Media, this is Remake Manufacturing. My guest this week is David Hamilton, Site Engineering Manager at Bacavore, the UK's leading provider of fresh prepared food. Welcome, David. Good morning. How are you? Not too bad. It's a hot day, but we are making it work here in the studio. It certainly is quite warm today, yeah. Now, you've got broad cross-sector experience. You trained as an electrician, worked in plastics, paper and food. Uh, you've also got European experience working in both Poland and Denmark. So how have all these experience meshed together and shaped the way you think about manufacturing today? I think it, it helps because it by understanding different elements of different supply chains, um, then enhances your capabilities to move forward and also bring different experiences from not just you know uk culture but from other cultures to aid in the development of your team to aid in the development of strategic thinking and really kind of it kind of that experience underpins kind of who i am today and the leader that, that i become but i think first and foremost having lots of different industry sector experience now that i work in the food industry and we might use plastic packaging I know how that plastic packaging is made. So if we have a problem at our site, I have a fundamental understanding to it that allows me to reach out to suppliers and then obviously enhance our you know, productivity and essentially avoid any impacts to our ongoing OEE and performance as a, as a site and as a business. So it gives you that three-dimensional view across the whole factory that you're working in? Yeah, definitely, because you understand how goods are being made that you are using internal to your own factory it then allows you to have a more in-depth knowledge a broader view almost a more holistic helicopter view of the entire process so then you can understand the the key components how they need to be brought together how they need to be handled and how you do that in the most efficient way and you know when you look at one of the most important things for the industry at the moment is to automate and innovate I think having those underpinning values and core experiences for me really assist me in my role because when I look at automation, I understand how everything works and how everything can, you know, have a or create a point of failure in a project or in a piece of automation. 
We'll get onto that in a, a minute, but I wanted to ask you first about the European experience. Um, what did you learn specifically from Poland and Denmark? Were they similar cultures, different to the UK? What did you get there? Very, very different. Um, what, what I would say is it's extremely hard to be a UK head office and then going out into these satellite plants as essentially, you know, you only turn up when there's a problem. It's kind of how you're perceived and trying to break down those barriers with people that, you know, first and foremost, there's always a little bit of a language barrier. There's then obviously delayed in communications because you can't get out there all the time and you can't be with the team. You know, trying to break down those barriers across different cultures can be quite challenging, especially when there are elements of other cultures that don't want to recognize or admit there's a problem. So having to understand why their core belief system is slightly different to the way that you know, we're brought up in the UK manufacturing sector was very challenging, but also massively rewarding because it helped me grow so much as a leader to understand how different cultures think. It was it was really profound. It was fantastic. It was a really good experience. Yeah, I can imagine it's a, a real test of your people skills. But once you get across those obstacles, you only become a richer manager for knowing those different ways of doing things. 110%. And, you know, people will always go to work to do a good job. And, and people, you know, there's a saying that you say, you know, people don't know what they don't know. And people can't be held accountable for what they don't know. So being able to go over to, you know, whether it be Poland, Czech Republic, Denmark and other areas and actually just share best practice, share common challenges because they are common. We just deal with them slightly different in a different way because of our cultural differences um, and our core belief system. So being able to share and compare expertise across different countries and, and across borders was a fantastic journey for myself um and i keep still keeping contact with quite a lot of those guys over there you know after spending time in the uk and, and going through different lean initiatives and, and continuous improvement kind of learnings with us in the uk have flourished you know in in their native lands now and and within their native industries which is absolutely fantastic and that network must be a great resource to have when you do face uncertainty in this country Oh, definitely. I think networking is a massively underrated and undervalued skill. When I've spoken to people or I've mentored people, I've always run exercises with them through LinkedIn and asked them to post challenges onto LinkedIn or create groups onto LinkedIn just to prove the power of networking. And it is, it's absolutely tremendous because there's a vast array of people out there in the world that all have very different experiences and different views all of which could help you solve a problem. And yeah, n networking for me is a very powerful tool. And to have a, a very broad network is, you know, a, a really important thing at any, for anybody in a, in a leadership position, specifically in manufacturing, having that network of people that you can talk to, confide in, and, and essentially pull some experience from is, you know, it's critical, absolutely critical. Yeah, absolutely. Harnessing the hive mind. If you can do it, it's obviously invaluable. It's powerful. <laughs> Very powerful. Mm. Um, in 2016, you joined Greencore, uh, the UK's largest bakery working on quiches, essentially. What did you do there and what did you take away from that particular experience? Um, so Greencore, you know, massive manufacturer, um has a very very people centric structure to it in terms of taking people on a journey and, and learning and development but 
fundamentally my I normally get parachuted into businesses to help improve those businesses that they might be struggling they might be hemorrhaging a bit of money or hemorrhaging efficiencies so people all all direct me and bring me in to generate a proactive maintenance methodology to change hearts and minds to take people on a journey and, and enhance enhance their people as well as looking at enhancing their assets and you know through doing that by generating the right people the right skills which is then topped up with the right whether it be automation um innovation or little different process controls that then ultimately improves performance and that's the fundamental in 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 my role as an engineering manager is always to drive performance and improve productivity because unfortunately in in our world cash is always king and you always need to try and give yourself a, a USP or a or a dynamic selling point that allows you to remain competitive in what is a very very challenging industry. I mean, you make it sound uh, straightforward there, almost easy, but it's obviously not. What what is the secret to being successful in that role? Uh, acknowledging that you you can't be an expert at everything is the first is the first bit. You know, if you try and retain all your information or try and take everything on um, or, or try and be the expert in every given field that you come across, you will fail because, you know, it's about being a very good generalist is what what we do as, as site engineering managers. And this is back to back to the network, the hive mentality, back to all these other little bits. You have trusted partners who are true experts in their field and you leverage those relationships and you and you continue to grow those relationships to bring those people into your business to help you then generate the changes um, while you then communicate to everybody else. Because my job is to communicate change, manage change, and take people through their change curve and acknowledge that people are going to have ups and downs when you're trying to make changes and you're trying to make a difference. But as long as you are very, very clear on you know why you're on the journey, the importance of the journey and that, you know, it is just a journey. You know, there's never really a destination with, with these things. There's never a set destination because that always moves. As you improve, you set a new goal. So it's just this continual improvement, continuous improvement, the continual change methodology and mindset that you have to try and instill in people to just take the emotion out of situations and, and then that increases engagement and I cannot do my job effectively if I have not got an engaged team because I only succeed because my team succeed. Absolutely. Uh, and would you say each situation is different and you need a bespoke response or is there kind of common ideas that you can bring to, to each project? I think there's always a common starting point. You, you will always have common, say common goals that, you know, you might want to, and we'll, we'll talk, we'll keep, keep on banging the automation drum. You have a process that you want to automate. Fundamentally, it's, it's to um, improve performance, make a, a business more profitable, or, you know, drive down the, the price point of a product that allows you to generate more business. So that'll, that could be your common starting point. The way that it's delivered is very, very changeable. Because you've got to evaluate who your stakeholders are, who you need to communicate to, what skills you have around you. Because 
if you're in, in a business that hasn't got any automation, then this will be really, really new for people and, and the, the operators that are in that area. So, you know, you have to take them on a journey and you have to explain to them that, look, this is for, this gives us all a level of job security. It's about business development. You know, this is a real positive change and take them through those positive elements and also then make sure that you upskill those people to allow them to operate effectively with new equipment or, you know, pieces of innovation that, that you're putting into a business. So talking about financials, how do you balance the pressure to keep costs low while still maintaining quality? Quality is king. In terms of the pillars of manufacturing, people are first in terms of health and safety and making sure our people are looked after. You know, then it's all about delivering the quality that the customer expects to see from a quality standards. And then after that, it's how can we increase our production efficiencies to deliver that product in the safest manner possible. The biggest challenge in our industry at the moment is people. That there aren't enough skilled people to go around. Now, in from an engineering point of view, we've known this for probably the last 13 to 15 years, which is why there has been a relaunch on apprenticeships and, and all these other things to, to try and plug the gap. But what we're seeing now is with Brexit, you know, with Brexit and then we've had COVID. So where we had a lot of kind of migrant workforce coming in from um, from our European counterparts, those individuals um, due to Brexit have, have chosen to leave the country. And also we've seen a lot of people now in the marketplace either stay static. So there's not a workforce, a, f- a flexible workforce about or the COVID situation has triggered people to go back to their native country because where they used to travel to and from there to see their family and then come and work in the UK, the travel restrictions have meant actually I want to be near my family. So that they've now chosen to to stay in, in, in their native countries with their family around them rather than continue to commute to the UK to work. So we have a massive skills gap and this is from basic operators all the way up to senior management in across UK manufacturing and it's scary. You know, it's, it's a real, real challenge for us all. And if that is our main challenge. So because we haven't got people, we now need to accelerate our automation journey. So we need to learn how to make products, the same quality products in the safe manner with less people to essentially try and bridge this gap where people just don't exist anymore. We just cannot get those people into our into our businesses across the UK. So that's one challenge. And then the other challenge that sits alongside that then is how do you train these individuals and upskill your current workforce to then operate and be able to maintain these new levels of automation, which which could be very, very different um, and very innovative um, pieces of equipment that you're bringing in. So those, those are very big topics there, talking about Brexit, COVID and the, and the skills gap. Let's go into each one in a little bit more detail. So first of all, Brexit, how has that affected things for you? What what's the the outcome that you've seen on on your your sites? Um I mean, it's not it's not really a, a back of all specific problem, you know, within my network and with all the sites that I've covered in the past and keeping in contact with with those senior leadership teams across the UK, Brexit did create a lot of disharmony um with our European based colleagues. And people that was, you know, like I say, either living in the UK at the time 
or you know commuting quite regularly and stopping in the UK for a period and then going home for a period etc a lot of people have decided to go back to their native country due to Brexit um now I don't fully and I'm not fully keyed into the emotional drivers behind that but it did create that that dynamic where people did leave the UK and it impacted not just the food industry but manufacturing as a whole massively but the food industry is very dependent on agency labor so agency labor is effectively we have a core workforce that work for Bacavore or Greencore or a Silgan whoever it might be and then what we do then is when we have really busy periods we'll then bring in a number of agency personnel so flexible workers to help us cope with that demand to service our customers and, and keep products on the shelves for for us all to go and buy it at the supermarkets what we found is is that because of the reverse migration process and everybody now leaving the uk and the uk manufacturing sector because of covid became really busy there's just no labor so there's no you haven't got the ability to flex up and down with your labor and it's it's a it's a big big problem but the main driver behind that initially was that brexit and that decision say yes we're leaving the common market the european common market there was a lot of uncertainty about it for a long time. And I think that uncertainty just caused people to say, well, you know what? No, it's been a fantastic journey in the UK, but there is now jobs back, back at home, you know, whether it be Lithuania, Poland, Slovakia, etc. We'll now go and, and, and take those automotive type jobs in, in our native countries. And then we'll we'll see what happens kind of when, when the dust settles behind Brexit, which it still hasn't yet, you know, things are still very much up in the air. Mm, a never-ending uh, saga, isn't it? It does seem that way. Uh, moving on to COVID, uh, we all know what kind of impact that's had and we've all been affected. Yeah. But um, what's the way out, do you think? What's what's the future look like and, and how can we find an upswing in manufacturing now that we're sort of fingers crossed on our way out of it? Yeah, I think the, the key bit the key bit for, for me within the manufacturing sector is making sure that we start an onshore our product pipelines more and more and more so bring manufacturing back into our own control into our own borders where we're less reliant on shipping containers and x y and z to come from from different countries to feed our supply chain because that's where we're in the most danger when covid hit ports were closed you know overseas manufacturers couldn't ship goods and then you have this massive lag in your you know essentially in in your logistics timeline that you cannot fill. So for me is we, we've got to really, really focus. And this is really a, a UK government thing. They've really got to start and get behind UK manufacturing again, you know, incentivize people to onshore. They are incentivizing people to, you know, buy tooling and automate at the moment, which is great with the tax relief, but we really need to incentivize the smaller businesses to come back, come back to the UK, you know, help us drive our economy, help us control our supply chains and uh, and let us essentially be in charge of our own destiny. I think that's the way forward for us because the COVID thing has, has learned us all a lot. You know, it's probably changed a lot of us in terms of the way that we think. It's changed our mindsets in terms of we don't want to live at work. You know, we, we want, we understand the importance of being at home. We understand the importance of other things in life. And I think, COVID served to rebalance that, but I think as a whole to protect ourselves because 
the brutality of it is this is a pandemic. It's occurred. This could happen again in the future. So we now have to try and manage that risk as a UK manufacturing industry and as a people to try and manage that risk so we don't have the economic kind of downturn and the issues that we faced in this one should it happen again or something of a similar ilk happen again and it doesn't necessarily have to affect the uk but if it affects china or if it affects mainland europe and we're reliant on those goods to come in to carry out our processes you know effectively it will impact on our ability to deliver products for people in the uk yeah, as you say, it was something that was unimaginable before it happened. And now it feels like we have to get ready for the next one. And um, it is a risk that we, we just need to take with maximum seriousness. I think, yeah, and that's the, you know, these things are, you can't plan for them. But but what you can do is try and mitigate the risk. You can try and mitigate the downturn from it. And I think that's what we just have to focus on is, you know, let's exit it in a positive way. Let's grow as a people. Let's grow as businesses. We need to re-engage our people after this because everyone's had a tough time, you know, be it at work or be at home. Everyone's had a tough time. It's time for us now to redress that, make sure people get the right balance, make sure people, you know, are kept healthy, both in body and mind, keep them engaged in, in what we're doing as a manufacturing sector, and then look to see how we mitigate any risks moving forward for, you know, further disruption that, that you know, Fingers crossed it doesn't happen. None of us none, none of us want massive disruption again, but the important bit is is how we manage the risk to make sure that, you know, our economy and our manufacturing sector is safe. I couldn't agree more. Um so let's talk about Bacafor. Uh you became the site engineering manager there in twenty eighteen. What first attracted you to this company? Uh, and can you tell us a little bit about the culture that's there? So from a Bacavore perspective it is the culture that attracted me. I like the fact that back of all is innovative. It will allow you to flex your entrepreneurial muscles a little bit. So if you have ideas, they're not just shunned, you know, people listen to you, people give you the opportunity to fail. And that's important because if you have a fear, fear of failure, you won't innovate. You'll stop innovating. And, and back of all has a, has a culture where, you know what? As long as there's a sound reasoning for you, you know, trying trying to go down that route, whether that is, you know, a small project or, you know, delivering a, a stretching strategy, you know, let's have a go. Let's try. Let's try and be a bit different. Let's try and be dynamic. Let's try and innovate and let's try and, and grow our people. And that's what brought me into this business. And, you know, it was certainly a, a fantastic move and it's a fantastic business to be involved in. And, and tell us a little bit about uh, what Bacavore does and what's your role within that. So Bacavore essentially is a chilled food manufacturer. So for pretty much every retailer um, out there is we will manufacture some form of good that is on their shelf. Now I specifically work in pizza. Um, so I, we're making chilled pizzas anywhere up to 2.2 million pizzas a week, which is, it's a lot of pizza. It's a lot of it's a lot of cheese and pepperoni, my man. That, um, but yeah. So we're making up to, and, and, and that is absolute peak, two point two million a week. But normally we're we're circa one point, you know, maybe one and a half million pizzas. We do a fantastic job for our customers. 
we have fantastic relationships with our customers. We're really good to us as well. But as a group, you know, we're in chilled meals, we're in salads, we're in wraps. So, you know, anything from your general grocery shop to what you grab on your way down the M1 or, you know, around the M25 or whatever on your way to work is what comes from Bacavoy, you know, and we're, we're very, very proud to be supplying food to the UK and supplying quality products to our customers. I'm sure we've all got a few items in our fridges. I know I have. Um, so the site that you're on runs 24-7. Yeah. What's your approach to driving down operational downtime and waste? So first and foremost, my boss brought me onto this site to to change the methodology away from being reactive to being proactive. So that's st- essentially stopping machines from breaking down, so unplanned stoppages. And we did that by first and foremost and I go back to the people piece, it's engaging the teams, not just engineering, but all the teams as a as a site leadership group and saying, right, okay, what problems are you facing on a day-to-day basis? What frustrations do you have with your equipment? And what is stopping you from doing your job? They're the key questions that, that we asked three years ago to then help us to generate a plan to... Number one, engage the people. So any kind of low-hanging fruit, basic things that we could do to show that we're listening and that we are going to be proactive in improving you know, the site and performance for you, we did. And then what we did then is set up a five-year strategic plan to then deliver ongoing and incremental improvements to the business. And that's basically what a, an RCM, so a reliability-centered maintenance framework is, it's about understanding your problems, understanding why they fail, and then putting them right, and then continually reviewing and enhancing that process to drive performance. And that's what we've done. It's been, you know, a tremendous journey. We've had some brilliant results, and and we've got a fantastic group of people and teams around us that work together. And it's that collaborative approach, collaborative thinking, and ways of working that's delivered results for us at pizza and you know long may that continue and i said we'd come on to automation so can you paint a picture of how robotics and automation plays a part in the factory what what does it look like um at back of all i mean it, i can't go too much in detail in terms of what what we've got on our site because that's kind of back of all's ip in, in terms of the way that we produce fair enough but you know automation across the piece in terms of food manufacturing you know it's looking for repeatable processes that you can then automate so if you're taking trays off a tray and then onto a line is can you put a conveyor in that'll do it or do you need a robot that'll pick and place them and move them over which then takes the requirement to have you know a person there lifting and shifting items all the time which from a health and safety point of view is that's not we don't want people doing that we don't want people doing repetitive things all the time we want that person to be redeployed and re-engaged in another another area where you know they feel happier they're being you know challenged and stretched and and then that helps their engagement as well as us taking little health and safety bits out and that they're the kind of little pockets that we'll try and look for on a day-to-day basis but fundamentally where I think the industry is now really, really going is 
it's about bigger it's about bigger pieces of automation and that this is about fundamentally redesigning your process so you've got a process that is still delivering a quality product but with as least people as possible robotics are very very similar there's only a few types of a robot in in the world it's the tooling design that fundamentally changes what you do with that piece of automation and it's this these bits of tooling design through our automation partners across the uk and and abroad is where the innovation and the automation will come from so if you think if you go through a process of making a pizza, you know, you, you, you're putting tomato on there, you're putting cheese on there, you're putting meats on or, or veg, vegetables on, things like that. Traditionally, all of which will, will have been done by people, every bit of that. But if you're making 2.2 million pizzas a week, you need a lot of people to make those products. And then when there's no people or there's a, a massive lack of people, you then have to start looking and saying, well, actually, you know, we, we, we always need we will always always need people in our business but where can we automate to remove the reliance on having all these flexible staff requirements that need to come in that just aren't there in the marketplace anymore and this is the same for you know even if you go into ready meals and, and trying to assemble a lasagna in a tray everything is basically done manually you know every every layer of pasta is put in there by a person so it's then, well, how can you build that dish without that person putting that pasta in that tray, but still maintaining the fact that, you know, that is a high quality product. It's a repeatable product, et cetera, et cetera. And these are the bits that are going to drive our industry forward is looking at things where traditionally we've shied away from the automation because we've relied on the dexterity of the human hand, which is such an amazing tool the human hand and it is so flexible so dexterous that it's been traditionally you have not been able to replicate that with automation is now looking at really clever tooling designs and, and and having strategic relationships with automation providers that allows you to start and mimic some of these motions to essentially drive performance and plug the labor gap because where there's no people you, you need to try and automate to keep you know business moving and keep keep food on shelves Absolutely. And where do you think the UK is at the moment compared to other countries, perhaps the countries that you've worked in previously? I think it's really difficult to say. I think it's it's more about the products that you make is where you are with automation. If I kind of go go way back in my history and I, and I look at my, you know, when I was first in the plastics industry, we were automating in, in the early noughties. You know, that's what we were doing. We were automating in the noughties because... You know, when you are when you have a molding machine that's closing, injects plastic, opens, you take you take the component out and it does it again. If you put a robot on that does it, that that robot doesn't take a break, that robot doesn't phone in sick, and you can run that process twenty four seven. So actually, your output increases, and that's where the, I think the snacks industry then followed. So you know, crisps nuts and, and all that kind of that industry that was very people centric because that was you know in terms of the products are quite cheap to buy so your margins are so tight you know that industry then automated quite quickly and went through this process whereas the bigger food market because things are quite artisan you know if i go back to cakes for instance 
when, when we were in cakes, when you buy a cake off a shelf, it'll say hand finished. And when we used to talk to suppliers and say, can we take that hand finished off and automate that? It was no. <laughs> so then you, you kind of get your hands tied at certain certain parts in, in your manufacturing process, sometimes by your customers. So you have to look at other opportunities. I think in some cases, there will be a change of mindset from the, the supermarkets and our customers as well at some point to say, you know what, actually, that's not critical to the quality of the product. So if we automated that and actually it made that product fundamentally cheaper to produce and cheaper to sell in our supermarkets, it has a benefit for our consumers. And I think we'll start and see that more and more, that collaborative approach from the retailers and, and the food industry's customer base, essentially, to help us on our journey to automate. And I think that's where that's where our critical stage is, is bringing our customers on board and saying, look, guys, we've all got these problems across the UK. How can we work together and work continue to work collaboratively to look for pockets of automation that you know helps us manufacture goods, helps us keep goods on your shelves, but ultimately helps you give the consumer actually probably a better price point. You know, and how, how can we how can we work up and down that supply chain to to make it slicker, to make it better? Absolutely. And I think um, you're talking about that culture change among your customer base. Uh, but we live in a world now where there's so much technology at home. I think everybody is moving forward with the with the manufacturing sector and getting their heads around that point. But there is still a kind of feeling that automation sometimes means efficiency, but it has an impact on jobs. I know we're talking about robots stepping in to fill a skills gap that we've we found over the last few years. But how do you balance that dilemma? It's kind of what, what I intimated to earlier is that, you know, we, we will always have a need for, for skilled people within our business. And it's just a case of, you know, at the moment, it's really, really hard to fill vacancies for everybody. And then when you try and then backfill those vacancies to keep you running or flex your your core manning and your core staffing up by use of agencies to allow you to produce products, people aren't there. The, the people just are not there to to come come in and make those products. So automation doesn't mean the loss of jobs. It means the creation of different jobs because, you know, where at the moment you might have somebody that is, you know, putting toppings on a pizza or putting lasagna sheets in a lasagna, actually that person could then be redeployed into another area of the business or they could then be upskilled to then, run and work collaboratively with collaboratively with that automation you know so automation doesn't mean the loss of jobs it just means it we remain competitive within our environment and it means that we can offer a better service to our customers and and hopefully then a better price point for the consumers in the future so the last time we spoke you you said uh, to me the biggest challenge in manufacturing is people Mm. what exactly do you mean by that it's about sourcing people um like I say, there's, there just does not seem to be the available people to fill the vacancies that the UK manufacturing sector has at the moment, which is really concerning. Um, and I think the only way that we can start to fill that really and fill that void is to, you know, start singing about UK manufacturing because UK manufacturing's been, you know, a little bit of a dirty industry in the past or that's how it's been perceived by others. 
Um, you know, so when we had IT booms, you know, everyone then wanted to go and work in offices or on IT systems because it's a cleaner, it's a cleaner, less stressful environment. Now, if we talk about COVID and we talk about what kept the country turning during that horrific period of lockdown that we had and, you know, all the economic uncertainty, the UK manufacturing sector, you know, was active throughout that. You know, we were still producing, we were still working hard to put goods on shelves for consumers and doing it in an ethical, safe way and delivering a quality product. And I think what we should be doing is taking people through that and showing people the positive impact that the sector has on everybody's lives and the economy and really, really now pushing apprenticeships. You know, the apprenticeship levy from the government has now been in for several years the uptake has been good and it has had a positive impact and it really has. But I still don't think as a, from an education piece, so grassroots bit, I don't think we're getting into schools early enough to tell people about UK manufacturing, to tell them of all the diverse roles that you can get involved in, you know, from basic operators to being an automation engineer, to being a factory manager, quality manager, all these, you know, different roles that people could key into that offer people, you know, longevity of careers and success but also you know how that positively impacts on everybody's lives in the uk because of how it contributes to the economy and i think we just need to we need to get behind uk manufacturing we need some real positive press about uk manufacturing and we need to get back to grassroots and we need to start you know getting people excited about it because you know we do fantastic things in this country and and, and we really really do and, and we work collaborative with pe- collaboratively with people all over the world that do tremendous things. And it's a really, really, you know, at the moment, it's a really exciting time because, because of the uncertainty that we've come through with Brexit, with COVID, and now with, you know, just a general unavailability of, of people within the UK. You know, this is now the time to be innovative. This is now the time to get creative you know and really start and and get behind our entrepreneurial spirit as 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 a group of people and and as a sector and get out there and get people excited about it and bring people in and if we can get people if we can start getting people keyed into uk manufacturing and we can start generating the interest again now i think the future's you know just it it could be very very exciting It, it could be a game changer Absolutely. So, I mean, if you could filter that down to one message for the industry leaders or for or for government, what would you say the thing is that we need to focus on in the future? Oof, that's that's a tough one. But please get behind UK manufacturing. You know, we do great things, and we want people to come and join us and grow with us. Is my message. Brilliant. So we'll end the show in the same way we do every week by asking our guests to just tell us uh, what's the invention which, if it was never manufactured, your life would become completely unbearable. What's the one invention that is essential to your life? That's essential to my life. Wow, that's expansive. Um, Probably a mobile phone, to be honest. Um, It can be the bane of your life and the complete bane of your life. And it can also be a lifesaver. I think from a from a work point of view, mobile devices are now so powerful that actually they're a really positive tool. So if you're stuck in the middle of nowhere and you've got a breakdown or you've got a problem, the ability to talk like I'm talking to you today to an engineer in the USA or somewhere like that 
over Teams or anything on a mobile device, show them the problem and, and work collaboratively to resolve it, I think is, is tremendous. On the flip side, you know, trying to get your kids off the mobile phones is a complete nightmare. <laughs> but, you know, in industry, they are a fantastic tool. Absolutely. It does dominate. Uh, thanks so much. All it leaves me to do is just um, say what a great chat. David Hamilton. Subscribe to this podcast in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon and Google Music. Thanks for listening to this edition of Remake Manufacturing. I'm your host, Stuart Black. See you next time. Thank you.